Hi there, and welcome to Dig In, a podcast brought to you by the editors of Food Service Director Magazine. My name is Abby Lewis, and I'm the content director for FSD. We're awfully glad you're here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we wanted to begin with a topic that we know is at the forefront of our readers' minds, and that is labor. Joining me for this week's podcast is Peter Romeo, editor-at-large for Food Service Director and its sister publication, Restaurant Business. And we're going to spend some time today to get his take on the labor outlook for 2019. Welcome, Peter. Thank you so much for being here with me today. As we know, and as I just mentioned, labor is really one of the biggest challenges for many of our readers, if, if not the biggest. And it's something you cover fairly in depth for both magazines here at Winsight. So to dig into that topic a little bit, we're hoping to find out what are some of the biggest issues you see coming down the labor pike in 2019? Well, thank you, uh, Abby, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, uh, I wish we were talking about a somewhat happier topic, but uh, most uh, veterans of the restaurant business, and I guess uh, across the board, through across the whole food service or hospitality industry, say the same thing, that this is as bad of a labor situation as we've ever seen. Uh, the bodies just are not there and yet the competition for those talents uh, has really escalated. Uh, so the industry is having a tough time finding sufficient recruits and there's a number of, of reasons for that, not the least being sheer demographics. The population just isn't that large, but also some changes sort of in um, uh, lifestyles. Uh, when I was growing up, you always worked a summer job, and restaurants were the usual ones. Today, only 38% of teenagers participate uh, in the workforce. Uh, so there's a lot going on in that regard, uh, but the overall uh, takeaway, at least in the part of the restaurant industry, is that uh, you can't do much about the recruitment and enlarging that pool, but what you can do is try to reduce your turnover. Uh, and there are a number of new methods that are coming into play. Probably the chief among them is um, uh, operators are taking a hard look at what benefits they offer and which ones are effective. And what they're finding is um, uh, things built around the family, family leave, um, giving other reasons for people to leave without losing their jobs or even, uh, in some instances, their paycheck. So, for instance, um, uh, some chains are uh, awarding time or allowing people to take time off for uh, pet bereavement, the loss of a pet, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, things like um, uh, dealing with uh, an ill roommate, uh, not necessarily a, a life partner, but someone that you just share the apartment with uh, for those that are a little older. Uh, the other things that are really catching on are career laddering, letting, up, uh, letting um, employees know where they stand in the pecking order and how they can move up the ladder uh, in hopes that they will consider uh, uh, food service as a career. Uh, and educational benefits, um, which are really catching on, not inexpensive, but are highly effective. Starbucks has done a great job on that and has gotten a lot of attention, as has Taco Bell and McDonald's, but also operators like Brinker, the uh, parent of Chili's, they have been very successful with telling people where they stand and uh, how they can go and even helping them with the education to get there. Uh, so it's not as if the... Um, uh, operator community is sitting idle. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting is we're seeing a lot of sort of guerrilla tactics come into play with retailing, uh, losing so much ground to e-retailing, to the uh, uh, online commerce. So many retailers are shutting down. 
their brick and mortar operations, and those employees are thrown into the workforce. So some operators have been very clever about capturing those folks in need of a job. And, uh, and they've had some success with that. So I, I think we're going to see more of that creativity going forward. And you just you touched on this a little bit just now, but I definitely think it bears repeating. What do you find employees are really looking for in the current labor environment, and how might that differ uh, from what they've expected uh, from a workplace in the past? Well, it's very interesting because if we went back certainly uh, five years ago, definitely 10 years ago, and we looked at any survey of food service employees and asked them what was important to them, uh, why they stay in a job, Money would be, pay would be pretty far down that list. It might be third or fourth. That has jumped to the top now. Uh, money is just that much more important. Wages are just that much more important, uh, in part because um, there's so much competition that it's almost sensitized those candidates to what they can get. Um, but also it's just a matter of we had that period of um, uh, stagnant wages where um, uh, the cost of living was exceeding the cost in uh, the growth in wages and people now are trying to catch up. So that money has become far, far, far more important. Uh, as we would have found five years ago, things like culture are really essential. Uh, people want to know, uh, want to work in a, in a team. Um, uh, they want to know, they want to be part of that community, and they want that job to be a community. Uh, one of the things that uh, we found at Restaurant Business and looking at the websites of some of the more successful employers, in their little pitches on their website, they promised that uh, if, if a candidate were to join that organization, they might find themselves with a group, not just of pleasant coworkers, but of true friends. Uh, and they crowed about that, uh, about how uh, many of the people who work there, some of their best friendships were made on the job site. So it's that sense of <clears throat> belonging and getting more out of a job than just the paycheck, though indeed that has become more important. Definitely. Um, in terms of labor legislation, are there any looming battles that operators should be aware of as this year gets underway? Uh, there's a key one that's just about to hit the business. It's not uh, a legislative matter, it's more a regulatory matter. But at the tail end of the Obama administration, uh, new uh, thresholds for determining when salaried employees would be eligible uh, for overtime pay, those uh, uh, thresholds were changed. Uh, uh, essentially, the income uh, under which, if a, an employee falls within, underneath a certain threshold, they would be entitled to pay and a half for overtime. That threshold was basically doubled. Uh, we're close to $50,000. Uh, and given that increase, all the salaried employees, assistant managers, executive chefs, uh, folks like that, would see an appreciable bump in their uh, take home. Uh, and of course the employers would be facing uh, quite a significant increase in their labor costs. Um, when the Obama administration had uh, proposed it, a lot of restaurant chains looked at how to change the status of their uh, salaried employees. Some were turned into hourly employees, others were given an increase in pay to bring them up to that new threshold. Turns out that uh, the Obama um, uh, new rules were sort of set aside 
with a new administration, but any day, and literally any day now, we're about to get uh, the new thresholds from the Trump administration, um, even with the government shutdown, uh, and they're not—they're expected to be less severe, uh, less of a steep increase in the threshold uh, than what we saw from President Obama, but still significant. The, those rules have not been changed for for quite some time, so it's going to be bumped up. The other thing that is becoming a standard uh, consideration in so many areas is predictive scheduling, uh, where employers, uh, and this is really aimed at, uh, in many instances, aimed at food service employers, they would have to set a schedule at least two weeks in advance. Uh, if they are if they are to change that schedule within that time, they pay a penalty, they pay a portion of the wages uh, that, they, that that employee would have been due. Uh, employees, interestingly, can change it at any time. Uh, but, uh, of course, this has been much resisted by the industry because uh, it weighs against the uh, flexibility that has been an historic advantage to the employer or a benefit to the employer. Uh, other operators who are more cool-headed about it point out that uh, the technology that's available today to do scheduling, to predict what you'll need, and to set those schedules really lessens the impact of that requirement because uh, you can tell much more precisely two weeks in advance or three weeks in advance what you're going to need on any given night. And you still have those wild experiences of a snow storm that blows in or tourist bus that pulls in uh, and you find yourself with too many or too few employees, but uh, still uh, the aids are that much more effective. So that's one the industry is not is not so happy about, but is not so upset about either. It's more just a matter of a change. Um, minimum wages, we saw quite a few of those increased uh, and they continue to climb. Uh, many of the laws that were passed uh, three, four or five years ago uh, they were phased in in steps, and so we're usually at step two for many of those, uh, those increases. Um, so we have uh, uh, one location, um, uh, I believe it's Seattle, it's $16 an hour uh, is the minimum wage. We have a two, New York and um, uh, parts of New York and uh, Massachusetts, where it's $15 uh, across the board in those states. $15 is going to become the new threshold, just a matter of when we get there and how we get there. Absolutely, something to pay a lot of attention to, for sure. Um, I know, and uh, you talked about some creative ways that operators are working to um, retain their employees, that it's, it's more about retaining than it is actually hiring in many cases. And I know in a recent story of yours, you mentioned a new apprenticeship program uh, that can be tapped to develop non-commercial managers. Can you tell me a little bit more about Sure. That? This is a great program. There, if there's a loser to this program, I've yet to find it. Uh, what happened was the industry realizing that um, many times employees uh, don't see food service as a career opportunities would bail and go into some other field where they felt there was more upward mobility. Uh, and this perplexed the, the industry because many of our leaders started as dishwashers and now are uh, at the very high up uh, in their career in the business world. So the National Restaurant Association came up with a proposal to uh, reinvigorate and reinvent apprenticeships uh, for, for the modern day. Uh, it was so uh, creative 
that the Department of Labor viewed this as a, a viable plan for those people who have no interest in going to college or feel they cannot afford it and don't want to be saddled with debt. And essentially what this proposal is and what the, the program that came out of it is, the Restaurant Association went out, talked to a number of food service employers to find out what skills their managers needed. And this is very precise information. This is not you know, general uh, nebulous topics like leadership. It's much more knows how to do uh, to to create a PNL, knows how to um, uh, schedule. I mean, it's very very precise and detailed. That was worked into profiles of the ideal managers, and those skills that were identified were then put into a curriculum for apprentices and apprentices sort of calls to mind medieval times when someone was learning to be a shoemaker. But what the restaurant industry, what the association did was they took that, uh, those skills and those criteria and went to employers and said, if you offered this, this sort of uh, checklist of what skills someone needs to move up the ladder, would your current employees be interested? And chains readily raised their hands and said, yes, this is ideal, this is great because it gives us a, 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 an outline of what to teach our most promising employees and it gives them a, an exact sense of what they need to know to move up the ranks. So this is all very new. It went into effect, uh, sort of phased in on a test phase last year and as of July, sort of went more general. Uh, a thousand people have enrolled. Now, again, these are current restaurant employees and the aim is to turn them into managers, to unit managers, um, uh, facility managers. A thousand people have enrolled and uh, talking to all the parties, it's been a huge success. And perhaps the best part about it is not only is this cost free, but the government even gives participating employers $1,000 per employee to soften the cost of instructional materials uh, to offset any changes in personnel or scheduling that are required. Someone needs to um, uh, handle part of the, the, the classwork aspect and can't work a shift, um, they'll still get their wages and the employer can afford to pay someone else. So it's a very promising program. It's actually being copied by other industries now, um, but I think we're going to see that really make a difference. Um, perhaps the only challenge is overcoming that those preconceived notions of what an apprenticeship is, but it's a very effective uh, way of moving people up into management. Okay, well, to that end, um, you mentioned that and some other really creative ways that operators are um, engaging their employees, whether it's pet bereavement or, or any of the other benefits that they can offer. Um, for Restaurant Business, you recently helped survey the food service industry for some of the most innovative ways that businesses are working to find and retain staff. What were some of the more unique or creative things you learned uh, from that exercise and uh, anything cool that you came across that you can share? Yeah, what really was surprising, uh, research revealed this and it's definitely supported by anecdotal information. The employee who's most, who's least likely to leave the job and to be most successful during his or her tenure is someone who was referred by a friend. And uh, that is no surprise. It makes 
uh, a lot of sense. But what was really stunning was how few companies offer their employees rewards for referrals, for bringing in their colleagues and their acquaintances. Just that little thing, even something as little as a $50 reward for um, recruiting someone or recommending someone for a job can really turn that needle in terms of bringing in someone who's good and someone who's going to last. Um, but again, that percentage was extremely small. Uh, so, so that was, was one very, very uh, important thing. Um, uh, the other thing that kind of surprised us, there are still a lot of people out there, um, they're not in it for a career, they're in it for a year, and they're in it for a paycheck. And uh, they are not uh, looking for self-actualization in their work job, they just want money. Uh, one of the things that's promised to them is that the clock moves quickly. Um, many of the recruitment pitches say, come in and the day will go so fast. And uh, that is viewed as um, uh, something that uh, is, is much valued by someone. Uh, not surprising, um, it's been noticeable for a few years now, but people want to work for a company that stands for more than making money. Uh, what's different now is that that has deepened so much. It used to be a benefit of a company uh, also um, uh, gave back uh, generously to the community. Now it's a requirement. If you don't do that, if it's just a job and there's no give back, there's no sense that uh, an employee can take pride in what that business is doing, that, that business is going to have a tough time landing, particularly young people. Uh, so those kinds of things, um, uh, they're soft and fuzzies, but good thing about soft and fuzzies is that they don't cost a lot of money. So those are, those are some very good things. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Peter. Um, and now uh, to round out this podcast with some real-life examples of how non-commercial food service directors are facing the issue of labor head-on, we're coming to the Steal This Idea portion of this podcast. Steal This Idea is a regular addition to our print and digital publications where we give space to some of the best ideas out there in the industry today. We often hear when we're out and about visiting FSDs in the field that Steal This Idea is the first section they turn to when the magazine lands on their desks. Each, each podcast excuse me, will bring you the best and brightest of these reader-submitted ideas. If you'd like to submit an idea for the Steal This Idea, please visit foodservicedirector.com and click on the Steal This Idea tab in the menu. There, you'll find a form where you can submit your great ideas from menu to labor, operations to design. So this week, we have an idea that's centered around staff engagement, a topic we know many operators are seeking help with in today's job market, as we just discussed with Peter. Melissa Boylan, a cafeteria manager at Koppel Middle School North in Koppel, Texas, found one way to boost staff spirits by writing each of her employees a personalized message in the kitchen each week to tell them how grateful she is for the wonderful job they do. She said her staff really appreciates the gesture and that the notes give them and her something to look forward to each week. And that's it for this week's FSD Dig In podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please stay tuned for our next episode where our editors will dig in on yet another important issue facing non-commercial food service operators today. Thanks for listening.